Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the radio program is Everything Cooperative. And you know, this morning, we have the absolute pleasure of talking to a wonderful couple, Leon Prieto and Simone Phelps. They live in the Georgia area, and they've written a book called African-American Management History, Insights on Gaining a Cooperative Advantage. And we're going to talk about that cooperative advantage a little bit later. But right now, I would just like to learn a little bit about the two of them. So first up, where are you all from? Where did you grow up? Well, I am originally from Trinidad and Tobago, and so is Leon. Okay. So, Leon, what what schools yeah. did you go to there? Um, well, yes, well, in Trinidad, well, I'm from South Trinidad. Simon is from South Trinidad as well, but I'm from the real South, you know, so. <laughs> Deep um, South. The, the neighborhood, <laughs> the ghetto, is that what you're trying to tell me? Well, the, the cultural capital of Trinidad and Tobago, you know, oh, okay. so, you know, so a lot of our um, culture, like Calypso music, soca artists, you know, they all stem from my neck of the woods. You know, so Simon is from an area called San Fernando. And I, I attended, you know, school in my hometown. But Simon, she attended like the elite high schools, you know. So <laughs> I, so me, be, me being married to her, I'm punching above my weight class a little bit. You are? <laughs> is that right, Simon? Well, I, I, no comment on that. <laughs> but did, about the cultural capital that he mentioned, he said all of the cultural icons came from there. I will say many come from his neck of the woods, but not all. There are a lot of them from my neck of the woods as well. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure we got that in. So the Calypso is uh, African beat, African from the from the motherland? Yes, it stems from um, the African call and response. You know, so the Calypsonians are like the, the griots, the storytellers within our afro Trinbegonian culture. You know, so it definitely stems from African traditions. So did you go to, was it public school or did you went to Leon and she went to private school, the elite? So is that what it was like? We both went to public school, but uh, many of the schools I attended were church affiliated. Uh, so they're public, but they're also uh, connected with the church. So, so one of my elementary schools uh, was an Anglican school and my high school was a Presbyterian school. All girls. Yes, I went to all girls schools while I was in Trinidad and Tobago. And you went to all boys school, Leon? I wish I could have get into the all girls school, but you know, <laughs> um, that wasn't the case. I went to co-ed schools um, mm-hmm. back home, you know, but the uh, same gender schools tend to be the more elite schools in Trinidad. I was just a regular Joe, you know, in so, Trinidad, but, um, you know, it was a good experience all the same. So did the British occupy Trinidad? Did that the I hear the accent more British accent? We were colony of England for yeah. some time. Mm-hmm. Before before the British um 
the Spanish were our colonial masters and then the British defeated them and took control of Trinidad and some other islands as well. And once upon a time, we used to speak uh, French patois, a French creole similar to, to Haiti. Even mm. though we were colonized by the Spanish first, most of the, 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 the masters of the plantations, they were French men. And many of the enslaved Africans spoke a French patois, which was its own language, which stems from African languages and also French as well. You know, but it's now a, a dying language, language in Trinidad. Unfortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. So you all grew up in Trinidad in the southern part of it, in the community where there is great culture stemming <laughs> from Africa. And Simone uh, was with all girls in, in school with a um, religious background, the they, they church. Okay. Yes. So they brought you up right, but Leon didn't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, I graduated. Thank you, Lordy, from high school. <laughs> so, where'd you guys meet? Did you we know each other in, in Trinidad? We did not. We met in undergraduate at the undergraduate level. We both attended Claflin University, which is an HBCU, historically black college and university in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Uh, so we both ended up there. He was a year ahead of me at Claflin. And uh, so that is where we met. Oh, yeah. And thank goodness I was a year ahead of her. She needed a lot of guidance when she I started did. college. Did she? You know? yeah. That is not true. <laughs> and you I were... was very self-directed but he was there to help you i know okay. yes yeah, he, did, he did he did give advice being the older one having an, a year more experience with college life than i did he did provide some guidance i mm. will admit that some advice yes yeah i'm taking so, all the credit i could get yeah so <laughs> what year did you all meet Were was that your first year there uh simone it, or did you meet him as it a freshman was, it was yeah that's correct 2001 2001 <laughs> And so he just took on to be your tutor, okay, okay, he, to help you out. He, he took it upon himself, yes. Okay. I didn't need that much help, though. Don't, don't think that, you know, he saved me from, <laughs> from going off course or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, but he's going to take all the credit. I got that already. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Leon, what did you major in? I, I majored in management um, at Claflin, you know, so in high school, I did like the equivalent of like AP history courses. So I had a love of history. But when I attended Claflin, I decided, you know what, you know, I'll take the advice of folks and do something practical. So just a boring business major at Claflin, you know, but I always maintain a love for black history throughout. And Simone, what about you? I I did management information science. It was a mix of management and computer science. And I realized quite early on that I loved the management much more than the computer science. And so when I graduated, I focused more on management. So 2001, you're at Claxton. You graduated when? I, I graduated in 2005 from Claflin. Okay. And Leon, did you graduate in 2005 or 2004 or 2006? Where did you? Oh, 2004. Oh, yeah, okay. I was a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out if you were super senior. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. But, no, no. Nope. 
Yeah, I finished, you know, for as long as he finished, you know, mm-hmm. and then went Definitely. on to do my MBA at Georgia Southern University um, in, in the big town of Statesboro, Georgia. That was an interesting experience, you know, and that's, that's, for, another, that's for another show. <laughs> so that's your MBA. So where did yes. you go get your doctorate? At Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful experience. Baton. Mm-hmm. And then I got bored recently and I did a master's in history from Harvard, which was a really interesting experience as well. Yeah. Okay. Simone, what about you? You graduated uh, in 2005. Five, and I took a year off and I worked at the university. And then I did my MBA at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Took another year off, went back to my alma mater, Claflin, and worked there again. And then also did my PhD at Louisiana State University. If Leon were to tell the story, he'll tell you that I followed him to LSU. Of course. course. That is not the case. (laughs) They had a wonderful program that I wanted to be a part of, and that is how I ended up there. So, Leon, when did you get your PhD from Louisiana State? 2010. Yeah, 2010. Summer 2010. And Simone? Summer 2011. You see the pattern, right? (laughs) I I, I got it. I got it. I got it. I say no more. You you just carry her along, take her across the finish line. Okay. (laughs) Okay, show her the way. Mm -hmm. So did you all do the same kind of research or the same emphasis in, in your PhD program? Very much so. Our research interests revolves around management history, and in particular, African-American management history and the histories of um, minorities, um, be it gender, race, etc. And we felt it was being um, underrepresented in the research, and we just, we just decided to fill that void, fill that gap. Definitely. Definitely. We realized that people that look like us were noticeably absent from research, from the textbooks, and uh, so we wanted to highlight those hidden figures, as you might want to call them, that, uh, and their contributions uh, to give them more of a, of a presence in education and in research. And also, we wanted to, to use that uh, to show the link between organizations and society and how organizations can impact society for the better and so we're very interested in social innovation and social sustainability as well and how we can better the minority experience in society so simone i have it that leon was guiding you through life and helping you to get your degrees (laughs) and telling you which schools to go to i got that okay (laughs) but when did he come to his senses and ask you for that first date when did, he, when did he finally say, ah? That was right before he graduated from LSU. I guess he realized, you know, he was about to leave. And he didn't want anyone else to scoop me up while I was still there for my last year. <laughs> and that's when he took me out on a proper date. On a because proper... being friends for so long, you know, we've always hung out. But we've never dated. So that was when he took me on a proper date. And so when did he get on his both of his knees and beg you to marry him? When did that happen? 
he never got on both of his knees. He never. He, he, oh, he was my. he was sitting in a chair. We were in a restaurant, and we were having dessert, and he proposed <laughs> <laughs> while sitting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's her. That's her version of events. Okay. All right. What's the truth, Leon? What's the truth? <laughs> I have to hear this. <laughs> I, I choose to plead the fifth at this moment. Uh, <laughs> all right. Your mama didn't raise no stupid people. I got that. Okay. All right. Okay. So that was 2010. When did you get married? That was. We got married in 2012. 2012. So after you graduated in 11, yes. you all got married in 2012 in Trinidad, I assume. Uh, no, actually, we had a destination wedding in St. Lucia. Oh. Another beautiful island in the Caribbean, yes. Yeah, my family is too big in Trinidad. We couldn't have it there. I couldn't feed all those people. You know, my family was just way too big. <laughs> okay. Family and friends. <laughs> so you went to St. Lucia to get married with a smaller wedding party, I take it then. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Leon, I got that you are extremely intelligent, so intelligent, you asked this beautiful lady to marry you. And <laughs> do you have any children? Yes, we got two wonderful boys, Jaden and Levi. So, Jaden is almost three years old, and Levi is almost eight months old. You know, so they are two rambunctious boys, but we love them. <laughs> okay. So rambunctious, but very loving. Very loving. And yes. I'm sure very, very intelligent coming from both of you guys. So we're going to take our first break here, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, what a cooperative advantage is. I, I like your love story. I think we could do a movie on that. That sounds wonderful. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And as WOL said, information is power. And information by itself doesn't give you power. It's like having gasoline. There's power in gasoline, but it's not until you strike it uh, in, in a piston or in a car or put match to it you have to do some action to the information to get the power so in this case we're talking to leon prieto and simone phillips they're going to give us information we talked about this wealth of knowledge that they have gotten in getting their phds and masters leon has two master's degrees uh, in business and in history and they both have doctorate degrees they went over to Louisiana and got their doctorate degrees at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. I call it Baton Rouge. And they just have all of this knowledge and this information they're going to give us, particularly about the book they've written, African-American Management History. Management is where they got their degrees in, and then Leon got the degree in history, put those together, and they have insights on gaining a cooperative advantage. So how did you get to talk about cooperatives? Where, where did that come from? Well, when we were doing our research on these uh, hidden figures in African-American business, in, you know, historically, we realized that a major theme that uh, helped them succeed was cooperation. You know, they believed in cooperation. They uh, 
were they practiced cooperation in order to succeed and uh, one of the cooperative ideas is cooperative economics and that idea of using cooperative economics and uh, so it stemmed from that so leon who are some of these hidden figures that you all studied one of the main figures in our book african-american management history is charles clinton spaulding you know he was a management pioneer not just in the black community but in general and he received uh, worldwide recognition recently by Thinkers 50. And he actually got his start working in a co-op. So he understood the importance of cooperation early on. Mm -hmm. And then the company that he worked for, the North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance Company, which he worked for after his experience working for the co-op, um, it was it stemmed from um, um, uh, that whole love of cooperation within the Black community in Durham, North Carolina. And Durham is one of the many Black Wall Streets in the United States. So it's known as Durham's. Um, Durham has their own Black Wall Street. It's known as um, High Tie. And um, Charles Clinton Spaulding, he played a big role in helping the North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance Company become the top Black um, firm in the United States for the early part of the 20th century. And even though they were not a cooperative in terms of um, their business itself, but they embody those principles of cooperation. So you're studying history and you come across this cooperation. Was there anything in your formal education that you learned about co-ops, either in management or in history? Definitely not. <laughs> that the cooperative model was very absent from uh, our business curricula, whether it was at the undergraduate level or at the graduate level. And uh, that, that's unfortunate because it's an alternative model to business that can be very useful, especially if you belong to a group of people that lack in resources and that can benefit from this idea of pooling resources together and having that democratic ownership so you can have more of a voice in order to make decisions, etc. I like the way you say it. Uh, pooling resources, you get voice. Yeah, that's right. And those resources could be money, it could mm -hmm. be skills, it could be land. Yes. It's all of any kind of resources that you might have. And it's kind of like if everybody puts their pennies together, pennies, dollars, whatever, you can get more money and therefore you can do more with it. So uh, Charles Clinton Spaulding was one person you found out in your research. Who, who else might there have been in these hidden figures? Well, I'll mention one of the women who was Maggie Lena Walker. You know, in the African-American community, when you think about historical business pioneers who are women, everyone thinks of Madam C.J. Walker, but there were others. And Maggie Lena Walker was one of them. And uh, she was uh, the president, um, the first black woman to, to charter a bank in the U.S. Uh, it was the St. Luke's Penny Savings Bank. And uh, with that bank, the black community was able to not just save money in order to, you know, to buy things, but home ownership rose significantly among the black community, which was 
a very big deal, of course. And the bank was also an opportunity to give employment opportunities to the black community, especially black women, because black women at that point in time, they were relegated to certain jobs like domestics, etc. It did not matter what education they had, the skills they had. And so she was very um, instrumental in allowing black women to progress and advance. And uh, so through the bank, she helped also. She had other initiatives like a department store, the Emporium, where they sold goods and services, but also women had an opportunity to do more than just be a washerwoman or something like that. And uh, she also started a newspaper, which was the St. Luke Herald, that gave the community a voice to talk about issues like segregation and lynching, um, better educational opportunities, suffrage. She was one of the black figures that, that uh, worked for voting rights for women, especially black women. So she did a lot and she also embraced that idea of cooperation. Uh, she had a number of speeches, she was very articulate and she spoke a lot about cooperation and she usually used the term unity about coming together and working together in order to make work and make business as, as she, would, she said it. I really like hearing you talk about it. I hear the passion as you talk, Simone. Um, it, it was fascinating for me to learn these things because I had never heard of them before. And where was St. Luke's? What, what city, state? Was that she was in? in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, right down the street from me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right up the street from where you are, Richmond, VA. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have not heard of either of these figures. And so you're telling me it's Charles Clinton Spalding and... Miss Madeline Walker, I was wondering if she was in any relationship to C.J. Walker when you make, gave me her name, but okay, she was doing her thing. Okay, Leon, do you have another hidden figure? Well, there are a number of hidden figures, and one hidden figure I would like to mention, he made a brief appearance in our book. Um, his name is William Matney, and um, when, I was, when we were doing the research for the book, you know, I came across um, his work and we told ourselves, you know, we're going to probably write a separate article about him and his contributions. So William Matney um, was one of the first black MBA graduates from Harvard Business School. Um, so he graduated in the very early 1920s. He was a prominent member of Alpha Phi Alpha, you know, um, one of the greatest fraternities known to man. <laughs> we both um, agree to that. Okay. Oh, <laughs> definitely. And Matney, he became a, and he also went to Ohio University, Simone's alma mater. He, he went to undergrad there, right? And he, he he's from uh, West Virginia. And he took a job at Bluefield um, State, um, but it was called Bluefield Institute at the time. Bluefield, Bluefield Colored Col Institute. Colored Institute, definitely. And he was always passionate about cooperatives. And one of his mentors and role models was W.E.B. Du Bois, you know, who was another Harvard grad and also another prominent member of Alpha Phi Alpha. So they both um, formed this organization known as the Negro Cooperative Guild. Um, I want to say in 1918, I believe. And they always kept in touch. So when um, Matney took a job as a business professor at Bluefield um, Institute, um, he, it was very easy for him to 
draw from the experiences of himself and the boys because the boys was very passionate about cooperatives and they brought it into the curriculum you know so so the boys would go on campus and give speeches he was invited there matney um started a co-op store with his students so his students could gain some practical skills and running a cooperative to accompany what they learned in the classroom well you know i'm from bluefield i grew up in bluefield went to public schools in bluefield went to bluefield state college and got my undergrad degree and i've never heard anything about william matney until we started talking so he was definitely a hidden figure and I got nothing about co-ops, and I heard about the students owning the store. Uh, it's like the bookstore, what I would call a bookstore, and, that's in, and Jessica Gordon Imhoff's book, um, Collective Carriage, was the first time I heard about it. But talking to you all and reading what you all have sent me, I've learned much more about him. And the store, it was doing extremely well from the research that both of you, you and Jessica did. They gave seven or eight scholarships they the, the students made money they they learned the business how to run a business but how did it close what happened to it well um i have to give credit to dr gordon emhard you know her work is an inspiration but um the store closed we speculate due to um racism and and also the issue some for-profit businesses, traditional for-profit businesses had with cooperatives as okay. well. We're going to come back. We've got to take our next break. I want to come back and talk about that. You you hit the tone of what happens when we have successful businesses, uh, whether it's Tulsa or this co-op in Bluefield, Bluefield, West Virginia. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. This program is, well, you know, we're in our eighth year already. And National Cooperative Bank has been our sponsor. They've been our friends. They have been our cheerleaders. They give us uh, information about what's going on in the cooperative world because their mission is to help cooperatives and their members by providing innovative financial services. And they've just been a great partner in this process of giving people information about cooperatives. Because cooperatives, as we've already heard from Leon and Simone, they're hidden figures, black folks that have had cooperatives. And when I talked to Jessica Gordon-Nimhard, she did 15 years of research when she first started research and she was told that black folks don't do co-ops. We're not into that, that's a white hippie thing. And to find that there's not only hidden figures, but there's a hidden history of blacks in co-ops. So, Leon, as you have been studying history, in particular African-centric history, what did you find out about co-ops from Africa? Well, Africa has its own traditions of cooperations, you know, based on their, their um, philosophies. For example, in South Africa, there's a very prominent philosophy known as Ubuntu, which means I am because we are. And different African nations and ethnicities within the continent shared very similar philosophies of cooperation. So it's known as Ubuntu in South Africa. 
If, um, in Rwanda, there's Umuganda. And in Tanzania, there's Ujama, which literally means cooperative economics. And when Africans were enslaved and brought into the Americas, meaning the United States, the Caribbean, Latin America, etc., many of these traditions survived the Middle Passage. So, so the Black church still incorporated a number of these traditions from Africa. Um, the mutual aid societies within the Black community in the United States um, still adopted a number of these Afrocentric philosophies of cooperation, and many of them also survived within the, the, the slave plantations. You know, so our traditions, our, the African traditions, didn't die. It, it manifested itself um, in unique forms within the United States. And um, so when African-Americans started their businesses, be it cooperatives or traditional for-profit enterprises, many of them embody that spirit of solidarity, that whole spirit of unity, and where we look out for each other within the wider community. Looking out for each other. I like Definitely. that. Because in this Western culture from from. England or from Europe is I am because I am. The focus That's is right. on me. I am it's because very I am. individualistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from Africa is I am because we are. I am because you are and you are because I am. So it's a whole different focus in philosophy and supporting each other. And that's what I like you said, solidarity and unity. So did you see this at all in Trinidad as you were growing up? What was brought over from Africa in the Middle Passage? Absolutely. Um, I was part of informal cooperatives back in Trinidad. And um, for example, um, there's this thing known as a susu, which is a rotating savings um, informal cooperative, if you if you like. And, um, and it's a way for members of a community to um, contribute um, money in sort of a rotating merry-go-round fashion. And we wait for a certain point in time to collect our hand, which that's what we call it, uh, where we uh, collected the money that we put in. And it was a nice way to save money in the community. So people would use that to buy a car or to start a business. I even used the money to purchase a plane ticket to attend college in the United States. And I had a greater trust in my community, Susu, more so than the bank at the time. I was one of those people who was very distrustful of the bank for whatever reason. And I had more trust in my community and our way of pooling resources more so than a formal um, system um, like the bank. But Susu came from West Africa and they even call it Isusu in, I want to say, Ghana, Nigeria. And it's still practiced there. It's practiced in Kenya is known as Chama. The Jamaicans call it partner. Trinidadians call it Susu. It was a big part of life for me growing up in the Caribbean. So I don't, what a part, I think it's very formal. You say informal. I think it's very formal in the community because you all, the people in the community decide how it's going to work. Okay. Yes. It's informal in that there's no laws, nothing written down. So I, I get that formal but informal in the Western world, but in the community, it's extremely formal and there is trust, which is a critical piece of cooperation. 
There's structure. Uh, so it's it's structured so that there's no chaos. Yes. And um, you're right, um, Vernon. And um, trust is a key component because if you if you're known as being a um, a person who is very irresponsible within the community, you're not going to be allowed to join a susu because we we will not we will not depend on you to um, provide your hand on time. You know, so that's a very good um, clarification it just gave. And and I have it when I first heard about susu. It was like if there's 10 of us, the two of you all and, and me and the 10 of us put in $100 a month. OK, so 10 of the $100 a month are the $1,000 that goes in every month. And maybe the hand is $1,000. Mm-hmm. OK, and I say I want mine first. The first month. OK, everybody put up at 100. I want mine. But then what makes me continue to pay after I've got my hand? That's where trust comes in. <laughs> That's where trust comes in. It requires a lot of discipline. And, I, and we really admire the research of Caroline Shanaz um, Hussein. She's doing some really incredible work looking at um, um, susus and other roscas, uh, rotating savings credit associations, you know. But um, you can't just choose anyone to join a, a, a susu. You got to have, you got to really vet that person as well. And usually the person who runs a susu, they are very highly respected in the community. And you don't want to cross them. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. And I understand from conversations with Carolina is that um, most of the time they're women. And the, and, the, and the woman is called the mom, the boss. They have different names for them, like you have different names for the susu, the banking system. Um you must have been very young to buy a plane. You must have been 17, 18 years old if you got in a susu to get the money to come to the U.S. So when, how old are you when you start this? Or how old were you, Leon, when you got into the susu? I started as a child. It was for um, pocket change, pretty much. You know, like we would have susu, informal susus um, within my elementary school, you know, among among friends and sometimes the teachers would also participate, you know. So um, it was something that was a very big part of my culture growing up in Point Fortin, Trinidad and Tobago, you know, so from a child. So it was something I grew up with and always knew as legitimate. Wow. Wow. What's interesting, as a child at the teen, I remember having a thought that if there were six of us, my mother and father and six children, and we were making 25 cents an hour cutting grass and cleaning pe- people's houses or, or offices, that if we all pooled our money, that we wouldn't want for anything. That six kids and the, my mom and dad, my father worked on a railroad. My mother by then had gone back to college and graduated magna cum laude uh, with six kids, and she started teaching. I didn't learn until she passed that she majored in business. That was not, I didn't even know that. And I was wondering what it would have been like in the 50s for a black woman in Bluefield to start a business. But she taught. But what would it have been like if we had pooled that money? And that was not in our culture at all in West Virginia. To pool, the susus was not even a thought from where I grew up. And that would have been just interesting. When you say in elementary school, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Okay, so you all... Met in college, uh, Leon came to his senses right before he graduated with his PhD and asked you to go out on a date. You all eventually got married in 2012. 
you went to St. Lucia destination wedding because you had too many people to eat feed if you didn't. Okay. <laughs> and you went back to Harvard and got a, a master's in history and studying Afro-American history. And you combined these two to get Afro-American management history. That is mm -hmm. just absolutely phenomenal. And the way you all smile, I, I feel love between you and with you, whether you're teasing each other or not. And I also get that um, Simone is the, the most intelligent of the two of you. <laughs> now, I'll say that, Leon, because I, I want to get invited to dinner, okay? I'm <laughs> hey, I, I'll say it as well. I'll, say it as well. <laughs> I'll punch above my weight class with Simone, you know? So. <laughs> got smart there, okay. Your mama didn't raise no fool. Okay, I got you. There. I got you. So you teach at two different colleges. What is that like? Uh, Simone, you at Middle Georgia State University, and Leon, you at mm -hmm. Clayton State University. How did you manage that? How is it like teaching at two different colleges? And how do you all manage that from taking care of the kids and figuring out how you do your lesson plans and going and teaching and all of that? How does that work? Well, I think it is, it is a, <laughs> it's a good thing to be at two different universities because we're able to have different perspectives of how things are done. You know, it's, it's always great to have... Uh, another perspective instead of just doing things the same way and uh, so i appreciate that fact in terms of juggling things it's useful that our schedules are different uh, so usually he works he teach let me not say he works we work every day of the week mm -hmm. but he teaches class usually on a monday and a wednesday and i usually teach classes on a tuesday and thursday oh, uh, so we can yes uh, so we can to fix our schedules so that somebody is available for the okay. kids. Yeah. And so you're all Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which is we cool, are, at least from teaching. We, we, well, we don't have to go into the office, but we are usually in the home office getting work done. Because okay. teaching really, it really never ends. You know, you're planning lesson plans. As a professor, too, you have to do research, which takes a lot of time. You know, so we are in the home office very, very often. <laughs> so who came up with coming up with this writing the book? Whose idea was that? Well, we both were interested in writing a book. But uh, when we heard about uh, Charles Clinton Spaulding, I think it, uh, you, you know, we had papers on him before the book. And we really thought that... Uh, it was important to have all this knowledge in one place, especially for students, because uh, we didn't have the opportunity to learn about these figures. And uh, Leon, it was who realized, you know, about the theme of cooperation just coming up over and over and over again. Oh, yes. And Spalding, his nickname was Mr. Cooperation. Yes. That was his nickname for real? Yes. It was. Okay, Mr. so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you answered me, Simone, because I knew Leon was going to say it was his idea, but okay, I know. Okay, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. I'm a humble guy. I know you are. I hear it. I see it. <laughs> I hear it. Okay, well, we're going to have to take our, our final break here, and this is going by extremely fast. Uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying talking to you all. So you got the book, African-American Management History, Insights on Gaining a Cooperative Advantage. 
I want to come back and talk more about this cooperative advantage in this last segment. But you also won a prestigious award for this book and talk a little bit about that when we come back. And I, I cannot tell you how excited I am about talking to you guys, particularly bringing in the Bluefield Experiment, uh, which I knew nothing about, and and just bringing to life what Leon was talking about, what he was doing since elementary school, pooling money together, these resources together. We'll be right back. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Um, we have Mr. Leon Prieto and Ms. Simone Phillips, uh, Phelps, I'm sorry, who is with us today. And I, I really want to talk about African-American management history, insights on gaining a cooperative advantage. And Simone, you said that Leon had come up with this uh, cooperative part of the book. You said you wanted this history management where did Leon then did you get this cooperative advantage and what is cooperative advantage? Well, it was a theme I saw throughout a number of these figures we were researching. I was like, they all talked about cooperation. They may not have all used the same word, but it still screamed out at me. And Simone eventually saw it too as like a constant theme. And we saw Du Bois talking about the importance of uh, back economic cooperation in general for us to build wealth as a community. Mm-hmm. So Spaulding talking about cooperation in all of his speeches. And then he even earned a nickname, Mr. Cooperation. And he was even called that in a number of newspaper articles. And, you know, Simon talked about Magdalena Walker. And it was all about cooperation used as a tool for, for us to create wealth and to also uplift the community. So this whole idea of cooperative advantage is pretty much the positive benefits that an organization possesses due to its people-centered, more humanistic approach to really engendering a spirit of care and community, meaningful dialogue and consensus building for the benefit of the employees, the customers, and the community. So a big part of um, cooperative advantage is the idea of social sustainability. How do we uplift our communities? How do we help our communities create wealth and share in you know, the, the gains of this organization for the benefit of everyone, not just one or two capitalists that run the firm? Mm-hmm. So we should mention as well that when we conceptualize cooperative advantage that we did get inspiration from Ubuntu, which we mentioned as I am because we are, because the three main tenets of Ubuntu are spirituality, dialogue, and consensus building. And uh, as we conceptualize cooperative advantage, that idea of spirituality is not just about religion or religious ideals, but really about people's well-being, caring about people's well-being. So there's a focus on making sure that uh, we are thinking about others and uh, not just self, not just about self-interest, but how can we behave in a manner as an organization that's going to seek the interests of all stakeholders. So this is one of the reasons I love co-ops. You talk Ubuntu spirituality, 
you said dialogue, I call it communications, mm-hmm. and then caring about one another, the, what I, the golden rule, caring about each other. Um, and so co-ops are care about people first, the planet second, and then profit. Mm-hmm. Where in the capitalistic system, it's profit, profit, and profit. And that's what's unfortunate. And if you go back to Adam Smith in your history, Leon, you find out he talked about profit, but he also talks about people and caring for people. But that gets lost in the capitalistic system. And, and you have a term for capitalism. What do you call it? Unbridled capitalism. <laughs> so we're not against capitalism in itself, but the unbridled capitalism where all you care about is money. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Adam Smith. You know, people always talk about wealth of nations, but they forget his other book, Theory of Moral Sentiments. He talked a lot about showing empathy and sympathy towards others, you know, and that's the part that gets lost. Everyone is focused on the invisible hand and and just generating tremendous profits, but they don't care about community. They don't care about other stakeholders in a systemic fashion. So I'm happy you mentioned Adam Smith. So because in my MBA, and I got mine at Stanford, is you know, they let me in, and I'm from the south side of Bluefield. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> it was all, all decisions was made on what's the greatest return of investment, ROI. What's the greatest return on investment? But that was to the stockholder. That was to the right. capitalist. What's the greatest mm-hmm. return on investment? Great. And so you made all decisions. And it was, it was unfortunate that wasn't the criterion. There was no other criterion that brought up what's, what's best for society. No, that wasn't mm-hmm. in the conversation. What's best for the employees? That was not in the conversation. Not even what's best for the customer, unless what's best for those things gave you a greater return on investment. It, it was right. all, all centered there. Okay. Spirituality, communications, caring about each other, Ubuntu, and you get people like Du Bois and Mr. Cooperative compared to, well, Adam Smith was there too, but people just don't hear him. They don't hear that second part of him. No, they, they really don't, you know, and, um, and, it's, and it's time for people to just stop looking at his work in a myopic fashion and look at it in a more complete way. And in the same token, look at the thinkers from other parts of the world, the racialized world, African-American thinkers as it relates to cooperation and cooperatives in general, they should be part of the curriculum. They should be part of the, the conversation. Mm-hmm. Invite them to serve on corporate boards. One of the first black people who, was, who got invited to serve on a corporate board was a fellow West Virginian from your neck of the woods, Leon Sullivan. And he helped humanize General Motors. And he also believed in cooperation as well. And he helped fight apartheid while sitting on the corporate board of General Motors. General Motors, you know, so this whole theme of cooperation is very powerful. You know, it could actually change this economic system to be a more just system that helps those who are experiencing inequities mm-hmm. and you know a lot of challenges and we it can make capitalism much more humanistic you know? so so i have important. it go ahead simone you were going to say something oh i was i was agreeing definitely because uh, you know when you see a lot of the inequities as as leon said among different groups of people and cooperation and specifically cooperatives can help address those this 
expertise in finances and economics, in employment, in education, in housing, in the legal system, even in culture. You know, there, there's a spot for cooperative economics. Well, it does my heart good that you all, you all see this. What I've come to learn is co-ops can help underserved people and they can help people start their own co-ops, create their own jobs, create their own money and have self-dignity, self-worth. Mm-hmm. And what also helps me in my warm my heart is that there's a couple here that's married and have a couple children and y'all can agree. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> that <is> so nice. <laughs> okay. So you won an award. What was that like and what award did you win? Well, we won the Breakthrough Idea Award from Thinkers 50. Thinkers 50 is also known as the Oscars of Management Thinking. And so it was a great honor to win that award for the idea of cooperative advantage. That is wonderful. Were you going to ask something, Leon? Well, yeah, you know, we were pretty much surprised to even be considered for it that um, that our humble research, just learning about the traditions of black folk was actually actually resonated with people internationally, mm-hmm. you know, so it was quite an honor and we feel incredibly humble that the thoughts and philosophies of our ancestors is actually gaining greater prominence in contemporary times and it is needed now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Needed now more than ever. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. The Cooperative Development Foundation has some the Co-op Heroes. I think you guys should be on that list of people that get this Co-op Hero uh, status. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, but also, they are looking. They they told me they're going back to try to find because if you look on the wall at the NA, um, National Association of NCBA National Cooperative Business Alliance on their wall, all there's mostly white men, particular 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, and they're looking to, to have some honors of folks that came before. And the two of them that you talked about, the Charles uh, Spaulding and Madalena uh, Walker, those would be two great names. And they're asking Jessica Gerd Nimhard to give them some names of people in the past from, from the African diaspora. That's good. What would you like to leave people with? We only have another minute or so. What, what message would you like to leave people with? Well, looking towards the future, because we realize that history tends to repeat itself. It's okay if the positive aspect of history repeats itself. But when it comes to the negative aspect, we want to change things moving into the future. And uh, so we want to to promote the idea of cooperation more and cooperative economics and cooperatives. And I want to mention that it really starts with education. You mentioned at the beginning of your show, information is so important. We need to get to this information in the schools so that the students can learn about an alternative approach to business and business models, because that's important. And then they know they have another perspective. They'll get a more complete education and they'll be able to put it into practice after graduation when they want to start their own businesses. They know there's another way. Leanne, do you have anything to add? Or are you going let to her, let her have the last word? <laughs> well, since you put it that way, you know, but, <laughs> but no, I, what I would say is this, you know, let Ubuntu be your guide. 
you know mm-hmm. so that's that's pretty much it let the philosophy of ubuntu guide you in how you run your business and how you interact with people in life in general thank you guys thank you very much everybody out there let ubuntu be your guide and we'll see you next thursday your news talk station 